This is an ABC News special. COVID-19, what you need to know. From ABC News headquarters, here is correspondent Aaron Katursky. Today is a day of staggering numbers in the global coronavirus pandemic. The number of diagnosed cases in the United States soared past 10,000. The number of Americans filing new claims for unemployment benefits soared by 70,000, to the highest level in more than two years. There are predictions 3 million Americans could lose their jobs. The federal government is talking about a proposed trillion-dollar aid package. There is no proven drug treatment for the new coronavirus, though doctors around the world have desperately been testing a number of medicines. And today, President Trump said the FDA is making available almost immediately a malaria drug that is showing some promise in treating COVID-19. Dr. Angela Baldwin, a resident physician at Montefiore Medical Center in the Bronx and a member of the ABC News Medical Unit, is here with us. What is chloroquine? Well, this is actually really exciting news. As you mentioned before, chloroquine has actually been used in the past to treat malaria. It's a drug that we've been using actually since about 1944. And we've actually recently expanded its use to be used in other type of autoimmune diseases like lupus. My my wife takes it uh, daily. And Plaquenil is the common name. Exactly. Uh, Is this for real? Yes, this is actually great news. Um, So previous studies done in cells of primates shown that it was pretty uh, effective in treating and decreasing the viral load in those cells uh, that had SARS. Now, we know that SARS is caused by a coronavirus. And so because of that, they decided to try some trials in humans who have COVID. And there's over 20 trials going on in in China and more to start in the U.K., um, here in the United States and elsewhere. But so far, the results are very promising to the point that um, some Chinese officials have actually already started making some recommendations in terms of what the dosage of chloroquine should be used uh, for people who have pneumonia that is caused by COVID-19. Fascinating. Not that people should start hoarding this stuff because it's still prescription only, right? Exactly. Okay. Uh, Dr. Angela Baldwin of our medical unit here with us. We're also joined by Dr. Della Tagapur, a resident physician at Johns Hopkins and another member of our ABC News medical unit that we rely on through this crisis. Uh, We also heard an appeal at the coronavirus task force briefing from the Surgeon General of the United States for Americans to donate blood. What's behind that plea? Yeah. So the American Red Cross has been putting out a plea because they're experiencing a severe shortage. There is an unprecedented number of blood drives that have been canceled, unfortunately, throughout the country. So they're really trying to ramp things up and get blood donations. Is it dangerous? That's a great question. So what we know right now, as far as blood donations, COVID-19 doesn't Uh, get transferred through blood, and the Red Cross is doing everything in their power to check folks before they donate, including taking their temperatures, asking for the clinical symptoms and signs, and making sure that the donors are safe. Hmm. Uh, So people are going to be a little sketchy about being in that kind of environment, but so far it looks like it's safe. Yeah, absolutely. And they're also taking additional uh, measures to keep things clean and keep people more than six feet apart. Okay. Uh, uh, Dr. Adela Tagapur, Dr. Angela Baldwin are both here to answer so many uh, of the questions that have been uh, on our minds. For most people, we know the virus appears to cause mild or moderate symptoms. It appears to be more severe in older patients. But we've seen, uh, Dr. Baldwin, hospitalizations among younger people. And what's all that about? That's correct. So we are actually seeing high numbers in those that are under the age of 50. And so this is really important because 
a lot of younger people have felt that maybe they are immune to the virus, and that's simply not so. Now, we also have to bear in mind that these people that we're looking at, we don't know what their comorbidities are, meaning that they may also have other types of diseases that predispose them to having more severe reactions to COVID-19. But nonetheless, the fact remains that it is affecting younger people, and so we all need to do our part. Maybe that's a wake-up call for all those people on the beach that that we've seen in in Florida. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Next question uh, comes uh, about uh, advice. Uh, for people working at grocery stores or Walmart, the, the six-foot rule is really hard to do in those situations. Dr. Tagapur, what do we do? Yeah, so although they should really try to engage in social distancing as much as possible, they can help themselves by disinfecting their surfaces frequently, avoiding touching their face, uh, washing their hands really vigorously with soap and water for a minimum of 20 seconds, and if possible, being very vigilant about self-monitoring and self-isolating at the very first sign of symptoms. We do have a soap question. Mm -hmm. Does any soap work for hand washing, or should we only use what's labeled antibacterial soap? That's a fantastic question. So from what we know now, all soap and water is okay. Um, People have been using things that are in their body soaps and their hand soaps and their kitchen soaps. For now, soap and water is best. And then as an alternative, and if you're on the go, hand sanitizer is okay as well. It's starting to smell like a French salon everywhere (laughs) you go because of that. Um, With with a quarantine or shelter in place that's in effect in, in some parts of the United States, Is it still okay to go into my backyard to barbecue or sit outside to drink coffee or to garden to do that sort of thing? Absolutely. It's a great idea to get outside, get some fresh air, get some sunshine. Just make sure that you're at least six feet away from anybody else who's outside with you. Just stay away from people. Yeah. Be outside and spread out. It's so interesting because for some people in in different environments in the country that, that may be easy if they're in a suburban environment... We urban dwellers are used to being shoulder to shoulder with people. We actually seek out these kinds of public spaces. That's correct. So you're just going to have to keep a little distance between you and the person next to you on the park bench. All right. (laughs) Does taking a hot steam or periodically breathing warm water steam uh, help prevent or minimize the effects of coronavirus? That's an excellent question, and it's a question we've been hearing really often. So everyone wants to have something that they can sort of take control of and do something to make themselves feel healthier. But unfortunately, there's no evidence to say that that will help at all right now. Along those lines, um, uh, we've heard about drinking water frequently. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's all sorts of myths that are floating around out there. Absolutely. So drinking water, gargling salt water, there's all kinds of great things out there. And I say if your grandma told you to do it and it's safe, it's fine, but not necessarily going to prevent COVID-19. Okay. Uh, We know it's allergy season. And for those of us with seasonal allergies, you you sneeze and you feel bad (laughs) now. Uh, How can you distinguish between seasonal allergies and what may be coronavirus? Excellent question. You know, a lot of the symptoms do overlap, the sneezing, the coughing, the itchy, watery eyes. And basically what we're relying on is that hopefully people who go through this seasonally know what their kind of baseline allergy symptoms are, and then they can monitor for if there's any change in what their normal symptoms are. And if that's the case, they need to self-isolate. Okay. If people recover from COVID-19, do they remain a carrier or can you get it again? What's the best advice for a person like that? Yeah, so we're still learning more about this virus. We only have information from the past few months. As of right now, because people can be carriers when they're asymptomatic and because there's more than one strain, it is 
potentially possible to get the virus more than once and also to continue to be a carrier. The way we're, the, we're doing the test as of now, we're doing a swab in the nose or the throat. That test just tells you if you're positive, yes or no. The tests that are coming about, blood tests, for example, will eventually be able to tell us, hey, have I had this before? Am I immune to it? Have I been vaccinated to it? Do I have it now? So we'll have that information in the future, but right now we don't know. We don't have it. Okay. Uh, can you guys stick around for a little bit? Of course. We'd be happy to. So many questions keep coming up for Drs. Uh, Della Tagapur and Angela Baldwin from the ABC News Medical Unit. Back to the White House and ABC's Karen Travers, who covers, because the president spoke today of a medical war on COVID-19, Karen. This was an interesting uh, terminology from the president. He is saying essentially that this is a public health crisis first, and then it's an economic health cri- economic crisis. And there's certainly been a lot of questions about which the president is more worried about. And he's made it clear, actually, in a couple the last couple of days, that you can't fix the second, the economic crisis, until you get control of the first, the public health crisis. But we're seeing so much action, of course, on Capitol Hill uh, on the economic side of things, with now a second stimulus package signed into law overnight by the president, the third one, the trillion dollar one, very moving along very quickly. Uh, Also, though, that terminology of war, the president yesterday declared himself a wartime president. And Aaron, I mean, you've heard the president, uh, every word he's uttered for the last three years, you you know how he likes to brand things and how he likes to have a an enemy that he can point to that he can try and vanquish. Well, now it's this foreign virus and the president saying we're at war with it. And he, in fact, calls it the, the, the China virus. Chinese virus, too, he's called it. And yesterday, under some tough questioning by our colleague Cecilia Vega and other reporters in the briefing room, he insisted that is not racist. It's where it came from, uh, despite there being very big concerns about stigmatizing an entire group of people uh, because of calling it that. The president is headed to FEMA, which he announced would take over the response from the Health and Human Services Department. This was an interesting announcement today from the vice president. FEMA is now the lead agency in the federal government's response to COVID-19. Previously, it had been the Department of Health and Human Services and Alex Azar. Azar was also at one point in charge of everything that the vice president was put in charge of the task force. And now HHS is being shifted to the side. The vice president said today that uh, the response through FEMA will now be executed locally and through states, but supported by the federal government. That's really the approach we've seen the administration take in the last couple of weeks. The president has issued guidelines. They have offered support, but they are really leaving it up to state and local officials to make decisions on what needs to be done in their towns, in their communities, and saying, we're here to help. Uh, Certainly, this could be a big shift now where you have FEMA, who's used to dealing with disasters. They know how to work with state and local officials. If they're in the lead, maybe things start getting along more smoothly. And the president was also asked today the question that is on everyone's mind as we confront and get used to new realities. When can we go back to normal? He doesn't have the answer for that, Aaron. He was optimistic, but he was vague. He was asked, when will things get back to normal? And he said, I hope very soon we will see this is uncharted territory. Now, the president did say he believes people are listening to guidelines on social distancing. But, Aaron, he's still pushing back on criticism that the government wasn't prepared. He says they were, and he's just not getting credit for it. ABC's Karen Travers, our White House correspondent. Uh, As we all adjust to these new realities, we have been... Many of us staring at empty store shelves when we've gone to try and stock up. We're joined now by Drew Wilkerson at XPO Logistics, 
which gets many goods across the country where they need to go. Drew, what are you seeing out there? Yeah, so we, we have seen a lot of panic buying where you've seen the consumers who have gone out and they have been buying products in mass. What we've really been able to do a good job of over the last few days is as you get back into the stores the next morning, a lot of those times the stop, stop the essentials are already restocked on the shelves. And so whenever I'm talking about the essential, I'm talking about your canned food items. I'm talking about your um, your toilet paper and things of that nature that are back on the shelves the next day. So what we've been able to do is take product for a lot of our large grocery customers and put product back on the shelf within that next day. What kind of effort is that taking when so many people are either being told not to go to work or to work from home or that just generally have concerns about coronavirus? That's a really good question. So it starts with our employees, right? We're extremely focused on our employees' safety, first and foremost. The second thing is we're focused on continuing to keep our operations up and running. And the third thing is continuing to create solutions for our customers. And while this is an unprecedented thing that we're seeing going on uh, across the country right now, we've seen situations before where we have been able to come in and create solutions for our customers. Some of the examples, if you go back just a few years ago to Harvey and Irma, there were similar type situations when people were running out of stuff. And the transportation company, XBO, continues to run towards the fire, and we continue to go right into it and be able to continue to provide solutions. So we've got a lot of dedicated employees who are still coming into the office. We've got people who are working from home who are able to provide their customers with unique multimodal solutions. And, you know, just if you look across our North American transportation portfolio, there's five lines of business, and so that allows us to really come up with unique solutions for the customer. Mm -hmm. So these uh, logistical supply lines are going to keep moving? Absolutely, absolutely. I wanted to ask you about some of the customers that you're hearing from uh, who, who may not have been on emergency footing the way they are now. What have you been telling them, and what have you been hearing from them about their most urgent needs? So the biggest thing is the, the customers that we're working with, and if you're looking at the large groceries, if you're looking at the large box retailers, and uh, e even uh, on the home supplies, because people are going in there to buy paper towels and things of, of that nature, you know, the, they're fo most focused on continuing to keep product for their end consumers. And so they've been able to build up the warehouses with supply over a period of time to where they've got enough that is able to continue to push out to them. So we're working with them on a daily basis to provide solutions to get the product onto the shelf as fast as possible. Because the one thing that we do want is we want to continue to serve the country to be able to put product on the shelf so that the end consumers are able to go about their daily lives within, I mean, obviously a lot of them are quarantined right now, but they're still able to have product to operate their daily lives. From your perspective, the product is there, right? It's not as if there there are shortages. You know, the, the short we see the shortages on the shelves, but there is resupply available. It's just a matter of getting it where it needs to go. That's exactly right. There there is still product there, and there's still product available. It's just as far as getting it to the um, 
to the to the stores and to the different distribution centers. Drew Wilkerson at XPO Logistics, our thanks to you. It's good to hear that the this product is there. We just have to get it to where it needs to go as we all stock up across the country. We have been getting word from police departments around the nation about scams that are preying on coronavirus fears. Uh, so we're joined from the FBI's New York field office now by assistant special agents in charge John Cassell and Rich Jacobs. Rich, if we could start with you, crime, it seems, is taking no break in this crisis. Well, it's clearly not uh, taking a break with coronavirus. And what we are seeing generally falls within uh, two categories. The first is the more traditional financial fraud, uh, most of that using technology. Uh, But the other side to that is is more what I deal with, and that is uh, leveraging the panic and fear of society as a result of COVID-19 to launch uh, cyber attacks. We're talking primarily about enticing people to download, unbeknownst to them, malware uh, that gives the actor uh, either backdoor access, uh, access to personal information or even login credentials, uh, or even deploys uh, something like ransomware. Uh, which will lock up all of your data until you pay some kind of a uh, a ransom. Uh, and so these things have become much more common because the criminals realize uh, the public is much more willing to click on things, open emails, go to websites that relate to COVID-19 in order to get information that might help protect them. So under the guise of coronavirus, criminals are able to take advantage. That's 100% correct. They're taking advantage of what they would consider a crisis, right, to exploit uh, people's fears. Are these foreign actors or are these domestic actors? Uh, Many of them are uh, overseas, uh, but it is not limited to actors overseas. So they really do exist everywhere. Are you able to give us an example of a scam that people should avoid? People really need to be mindful of what websites uh, they visit. And, and so if you want information or updates on COVID-19, uh, the CDC is your best source of information, uh, but you should go directly to the CDC site. You can type in www.cdc.gov. You shouldn't rely on uh, an email that you receive with a link uh, to it, which might direct you to something uh, malicious. Uh, so go directly to a website. If you do get an email, be careful what you click on and what you open. Uh, and again, they're going to try to get you to open an attachment like a Word document um, under the impression that you are going to get some information of value. Uh, you need to make sure that you are verifying the sender of that email before you take those actions. And John, what are you seeing on the on the financial end of things? We are aware that there are complaints relating to the coronavirus in respect to fraud schemes. And our biggest concerns are scams, including testing, testing kits, vaccinations, and treatments, mostly because there is currently no vaccination or prescription or over-the-counter product that is available to treat or cure the coronavirus. The, the, uh, the fraudsters are preying on the fear and the anxiety of the public to look for opportunities to uh, defraud them via things such as those vaccinations, the testing kits, uh, certainly charitable contributions, uh, and investments as well. This is particularly insidious, isn't it, at a time of of national crisis? It is, 
but as we have seen in the past, like with Hurricane Sandy, we expect and anticipate that frauds related to the coronavirus outbreak will likely increase. If someone thinks they're onto a scam or they have been victimized by one of these things, what should they do? First and foremost, um, be, be vigilant when you're online and really think about uh, where you're visiting, what you're clicking on, what you're downloading from an app store before you do it, uh, even during these these, uh, these difficult times. Uh, however, if you do believe that you have fallen victim either to a fraud scheme or, uh, or a cyber attack, uh, it's important that uh, you report it as quickly as possible. Uh, you can do that by uh, either contacting your local FBI office uh, or uh, you can report it uh, as I mentioned earlier, via the Internet Crime Complaint Center, which is uh, www.ic3.gov, where we can take a look at it and do what we can uh, to protect uh, to protect the public. The FBI's Rich Jacobs and John Cassell on scams amid this coronavirus crisis. Uh, our thanks to you there and the FBI. Still on duty, the Bureau want, wanted us to let everyone know, even though many of the uh, the agents are indeed working from home. We're here with doctors Angela Baldwin and Adela Tagapur from the ABC News Medical Unit with a couple more of your questions, uh, including one about the the key differences between influenza and coronavirus. How do you tell? Yeah, so actually the symptoms are really similar and nonspecific. So that's why it's so important to be socially responsible and isolate yourself if you're having any symptoms at all. Why does an influenza overwhelm our healthcare system every year the way this seems to be doing? It's a good question. Well, part of the reason is because we have a vaccine, which a lot of people take, which can also help decrease the amount or the frequency of the influenza virus. And then also, this is just new. We've only known about it for about three to four months, so we don't really know exactly how to deal with it yet. So that's another reason. And the last reason being that it is actually more transmissible than influenza. It sure seems that way, doesn't it? Any concern for giving birth or getting a C-section during the pandemic? Yeah, so hospitals right now all across the country are being extra, extra vigilant. They have the same heightened awareness that the rest of us do. So infection control is a top priority. So the delivery rooms and the spaces where moms-to-be are going are really going to be pretty self, uh, pretty safe and pretty clean. As far as mom-to-baby, there's no evidence of vertical transmission right now. And that's basically mom being able to give it to newborn baby. Good news. Dr. Della Tagapur, Dr. Angela Baldwin, thanks to you both for answering all of our listener questions. Uh, We know there's a lot of anxiety right now, so we asked ABC's Alex Stone for a bit of a breather. He found a choir performance offering a lift. It's music being heard around the world right now. Like most schools in California, Chino Hills High School is closed. Students at home. But that's not stopping them from sending a moving message to the world. Using technology, each member singing into their computers from home, creating this performance of Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Each member in a box on the screen from their bedrooms, singing together. The high school choir able to come together again. Alex Stone, EBC News. Great. Music stirring our souls even amidst this crisis. So good to hear from ABC's Alex Stone. I'm Aaron Katursky. 
You've been listening to an ABC News special. ABC News. Honored. Winner of four Edward R. Murrow Awards. ABC News. America's number one news choice. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts.